Hello there. Welcome to something that I call Growing in Grace Together. My name is Joel Breezy. You've heard the podcast Growing in Grace, uh, something that I do with my friend Mike Kapler. And um, this is something that I used to do a little more often. If you go to growingingrace.org and look in the archives, you'll see some past Growing in Grace Together uh, things that I've done. Basically, it's me, Joel talking with uh, somebody else. And in this case, Growing in Grace Together, we're going to uh, grow in grace together with Mike Adams today. Many of you who listen to the Growing in Grace podcast will know Mike from his On the Sunday show, which we've talked about on our podcast and which I like to share with people a lot. And I'll let uh, Mike, Mike Adams, uh, glad to have you here with me, and I'll let you uh, introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about yourself for those who don't know. Well, thanks, Joel. It's great to be here. I really appreciate the invitation to come on and, and talk with you today. It's still Joel and Mike. It's just another Mike. <laughs> it's just another Mike. That's right. <laughs> That's right. You can't, you can't get away from the mics, you know. Nope. So, so yeah, I, uh, I, I became a believer in 1973, in January of 1973, right in the middle of my high school year of school, of right in my senior year of high school. And... Um, it, about the first five years or so of that experience was very liberating. I mean, it was just basically me and Jesus. There wasn't any religion around it. That, you know, that stuff came later. And my wife and I were married in 1974. We were both brand new believers. And so we kind of went on this journey together, this adventure together in Jesus. And they're just enjoying the forgiveness of sins, enjoying the, the freedom from guilt the freedom from the, you know, the, the slavery of sin, the burden of sin, and, and just enjoying life together in Jesus. And then, you know, as years went by, I got more groomed into institutional church settings, and eventually I became a pastor. And, you know, I'm skipping a lot of years there, but eventually I became a pastor, and I, I was on different pastoral teams, if you will, of a few different churches, a couple of church plants that I was a part of. And it was at that time that really be, things really began to change for me because my relationship with Jesus started to be a burden. And along about 2008 or 2009, Susan and I both had a, a really bad crash and burn out of performance-based Christianity. We could talk a little bit more about that if you want to later too. Mm-hmm. But realizing that we had you know, we, we were stuck in this performance-based mode of Christianity where we kind of had to, yeah, we were, our sins were forgiven and we were in Christ, but it was up to us to stay there. It was up to us to keep ourselves there. It was up to us to get stronger and stronger and stronger every day, kind of independent of Jesus, as though that made Jesus more proud of us. And so, you know, we finally just crashed and burned. We both came to the same conclusion and I ended up stepping down as a pastor. And since that time, so that was late 2008, early 2009. Since that time, you know, we've left institutional church completely. It was a process. It wasn't an overnight thing. It was a slow process. But that's where we are today. We have, we have left institutional Christianity. We haven't left Jesus. You know, we still love people. <laughs> <laughs> we still love the body of Christ. But we've left that institutional church setting, and that's kind of what I hope we can talk about today is a little bit of the, the state of the church and 
some of our reasons for leaving and some of what we see going on around us and with conversations with other people and kind of flesh that out a little bit and uh, see where that takes us maybe. Yeah, and I like that you said that while you've left left the institutional church, that doesn't mean at all that you've left Jesus or that you've left Jesus behind. I know you uh, love Jesus just as much or more than ever before and that you're growing in a relationship with him more than ever before. And a lot of people think that, oh, they've left church, uh, they must be doing poorly uh, because, and we'll probably maybe talk about this a little bit, but, um, you know, Hebrews... 1025 commands us to go to church <laughs> right and so right and so people people take that as a commandment to go to church and so if, if you're not involved in you know going to a church building every week and, and 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 we'll say from the start here i know that you and i think a lot alike on a lot of these things that if a person does do that we're not against that what we want to sure. talk about some of the problems that come with that and some of the things that go along with that and and and, and we'll sh- I know you'll share a lot of what you think about this, but if a person does that, that's we're not saying there's anything wrong with that, but there are some things that go on in the institutional church today that aren't written anywhere in the pages of the Bible, Old Testament or New Testament, or sometimes they carry some of these Old Testament things <laughs> into uh, the things that go on, the practices that go on in church services today. So I'm sure we'll talk about some of that, but I just wanted to let people know that we're not against people uh, of the church, the modern church, with with all its religious traditions and, and things that go on. We're not against the people. It's some of these practices that we'll uh, be talking about here. Uh, real, real quick, and maybe we'll touch on this at the end too, you have uh, your own podcast. It's called The Unsunday Show Podcast. And a blog, Correct. the Unsunday blog. Uh, just want to let people little, know a little bit about that, too. Yeah, in fact, you can get to both of those by going to unsunday.com. That's unsunday.com. Unsunday.com. I was trying to impress you with my radio voice there. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, you can go to unsunday.com, and you'll see links there to everything that I do and everything that I have my hands in. Um, that's the basic that's the site. That's like the central hub site for everything that I do. All the links are there. You can just you can get to the blog from there. You can get to my Instagram from there. You can get to TikTok and get to Twitter. Um, it's all right there. But the End Sunday Show is it's really a description of my journey in a lot of ways. And you know when I talk to people like we're talking today, I'm not trying to be prescriptive. I'm being descriptive. I'm describing my own journey, my own thoughts, the process that has happened to me over a period of several years in leaving the institutional church. These are a descript a description of my experience. And so I'm not trying to tell anyone, hey, you need to get out of there. If you're if you're in that setting and you're you're doing well there and you feel like that's where God has you, then yeah, definitely stay there. Mm-hmm. I would never tell you to leave. So what I have to say is is pretty much descriptive and not prescriptive, and and that's pretty much what's on my uh, podcast and on on Sunday dot com. All of those episodes that are there describe a certain aspect of my journey in one way or another over the years, and during that journey, kind of by accident, I delved into church history. And I started to read a lot more about church history. And as I did, it really opened up for me where a lot of these traditions come from. 
And they don't come from what we see in the New Covenant Scriptures. By New Covenant Scriptures, I mean particularly from the book of Acts to Revelation, and the teaching passages really from Romans to Revelation. We don't see anything in there about a lot of the practices that we see in institutional Christianity today that I think clutter our view of Jesus. A lot of people use the term deconstruction or deconstruct. I don't really like that term. I'm not sure what it means. It means something different to everybody else. But what I like to say is that I'm decluttering. Hmm. I'm, I'm moving things out of the way that are hindering a clear view of Jesus so that I can see him better without, without all the uh, obligations, without all the religious trappings around me. And the things that really cluttered my view of him previously, does that make sense? Yeah, I, I like that word declutter because it's a it, that resonates with me. It, it, and the same thing kind of happened to me. And I was even uh, several years ago, maybe this is uh, I think we're going on fifteen years now that I, I was part of a, a church that was that had uh, you know a fair, was beginning to get a fairly good handle on on God's grace. Um, there had been formerly kind of a mixture there, but yet a, a good grace um, background. Uh, but yet I still felt every week that uh, there was so much clutter. There were so many, there were a lot of um, principles for Christian living that were taught. And there were a lot of, you know, it's, it's all not necessarily bad stuff, but just so much coming at me every week. And I was just so, uh, it just, there was so much to take in that I had to eventually leave that setting and I then and then I found with all that clutter kind of out of the way, I was able to to, to freely grow. Uh, I found myself just growing in leaps and bounds without all that with all that all without all that clutter there. And so I like that word decluttering as opposed to uh, deconstructing. And so we have to when we the place where you're coming from with your with your unsunday show, I think it's. The type of thing where some people m may not understand uh, because they think, but I guess what I'm trying to say is I like the way that you present things on the Unsunday Show podcast because you're very clear and, and about what you're saying and about what you're not saying. And I think a person can really get a lot from listening to, to your podcast uh, because it's not just bashing the church. It's not just bashing the way that things are done. But like you say, you've delved into church history, so you'll, you, and, and it's like you say, it's descriptive. Uh, you're not telling people what to do, uh, but you're describing church history and how things got to where they are today. You're describing your own journey, and you're doing it in a, in a loving way and not in a way that is telling anybody, hey, you have to do things like I did. You have to believe things exactly like I do. So I do recommend that on Sunday uh, show podcast. And so I think... One of the things, I don't know where to start here as far as um, the, 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 the state of the church. <laughs> I mean, the president gives the state of the union. The governor uh, gives the state of the state address. We're not talking about um, how the church is performing here. Um, like, the oh, the church is doing good in this, this, and this, and uh, yet we, in the budget, we've got, we're not talking about any of that stuff. But some of the things that have arisen throughout church history— that have led to uh, a lot of these 
things that people believe are just the way it's supposed to be done, but again, are really just traditions. They're religious traditions. There they are things that have crept into the church that really have nothing to do with any biblical basis. I'm thinking of, just before we got on here, I did a search in my Bible, my online Bible, uh, for the word pastor. And the word pastor appears, you know how many times? I know you know how many times. One time in the entire right. Bible, and yet the church today, the way that it's set up, when, when you get up on the Sunday morning and go to church, everything, almost everything, is focused on that man or woman, that, that pastor. And th- the Bible says very little about the word pastor. And maybe you can talk a little bit about that and, and um, like maybe what these some other words like uh, uh, elder and bishop and some of these other words that may be biblical, may not be shepherds, deacons, and priests, and things like that. So uh, those are some of the things I think of, and maybe you've got a lot more to talk about when it comes to, I know you have a lot more to talk about when it comes to how the church has come to be the way that it is today. Sure. Yeah. In fact, if I get going too much and you need to reel me in, (laughs) feel free. (laughs) Just go for it, man. Speaking as a former pastor, I think what we've done is we've institutionalized pastors. Hmm. Just like we've institutionalized the religious setting that we call church, we've institutionalized pastors as well. And that's not a that's not a slam against pastors. I you know I I love and I appreciate the fact that God has given gifted people to the church to shepherd the church. That's a that's a good thing. That's a great thing. But what we've done with it over the years, is we've elevated this person to a position that the Bible doesn't elevate them to. And it's not fair to that person, and it's not fair to the people. Hmm. Because the person who's the pastor suffers because he or she is under an intense amount of pressure to perform. That was part of my crash and burn as a pastor. I couldn't perform anymore. I couldn't do it anymore. And there's a lot of pastors that are burning out. There's some that have committed suicide. Hmm. There's mm-hmm. there's some that are just calling it quits and walking away, which I think can be a real healthy thing. But we've overloaded this person that we call pastor, and we've given them so much responsibility that it's it would be, it's hard and almost impossible for anyone to bear, any one person to bear. And then we couple that with honorific titles you know, reverend, pastor, so-and-so. We depersonalize the person when we do that. And we're doing something that Jesus said, don't do. Jesus told the disciples in the Gospels, you know, not to employ honorific titles, not to seek to be called teacher, not to seek these exalted titles in your name. And yet, look around us. That's what we've got. Mm -hmm. And it's rampant. And the higher the the higher the hierarchy, I, I guess that's kind of redundant. The more <laughs> the complex, the yeah. The the more complex the hierarchy, the top down authority structures that we put in place, the more complex the honorific titles get. And so we've got pastor pastors over pastors. We've got executive pastors over the senior executive pastor. We, you know, we've got all these titles. We've we've turned this thing into a corporation. Because that, that's what it is. It's a 501c3 in America. It's a legal corporation. It's a, non, it's a non-profit corporation. 
And in a corporation, there has to be a CEO. And we've decided to put the pastor as the CEO in that corporation. And like I said, that's unfair to the pastor because it puts so much pressure on that person. I remember doing sermon preps would take me hours and hours and hours during the week. And back in the Grace Cafe podcast that my wife and I used to do, in one of those episodes, she didn't know this was coming. I just asked her point blank in one of the episodes, do you remember any of the messages that I preached? <laughs> and she said no. <laughs> and that took so much time away from her to prepare a sermon. It took so much time away from my kids to prepare a sermon. It took so much time away from my friends and my family and my relatives and my neighbors to prepare a sermon, to prepare a sermon that no one remembers. Mm. But that's the system. Because like you said, the system is pastor-focused, it's pastor-centered, it's pulpit-centered. I mean, everything is. You look at a website for a church, and ultimately the website for the church points to the pulpit and the pastor behind the pulpit. He or she is the guy. We're going to lift this person up. This is our this is our leader. Everything is pointed to the pastor or to the to the pulpit, and then there's a lot of churches around here that put out sandwich boards. You know, they meet in schools and whatever, so they put out sandwich boards on Friday or Saturday with you know a little arrow pointing in, you know, saying Sunday service at 10 a.m. or or whenever. Mm-hmm. But it's all pointing toward that facility at a certain at a certain day and a certain time. And then when you walk in, what do you see? Everything is pointing toward the pulpit, usually. The, the chairs are oriented that way. The climax of the event on Sunday or Wednesday or whenever we go is when the pastor comes out and kind of mounts the pulpit and starts talking. That's what it's all about in that setting. It's, it's different than what we see in the New Covenant Scriptures, because when we open the New Covenant Scriptures, the imperative is that every member is functioning. Right. That every every member is exercising his or her spiritual gifts. But you can't do that in a modern institutional setting. It doesn't lend itself to that. I've mentioned in the past in my podcast and to different friends, if you don't believe me, go into that setting and in the middle of a sermon, raise your hand. Right. And say, um, you know, this this might mean something else. What if we look at look at it in a different context? I mean, stand up and say something and see where it gets you. It'll get you out the door. It'll, exactly. Because we're not set up that way anymore. I think that church has trained the ecclesia out of us. By that, I, I simply mean that the translators of the Bible, translators of the New Testament, we'll take that, we'll, we'll just take the New Testament piece of this for now. Everywhere the Greek word ekklesia appeared, the translators inserted the word church. But the problem is, in my understanding of it, and the limited amount of reading that I've done on it, is that the, the old English word church which is where our word church comes from, was first kind of birthed, if you will, around 500 AD. Prior to that, it really wasn't used or didn't exist. But the word, the old English word church means a Lord's 
possession. And mm. the Greek counter to that word would be kuriakon. Kuriakon in New Testament Greek means something belonging to a Lord or to the Lord. And so what's happened is instead of translating the word ecclesia as congregation or assembly, which is what it means, which kind of points toward a plurality of people, more so than the word church, instead of letting ecclesia be ecclesia, translators have overlaid the word church on it, which means a Lord's possession. But Kuriakin in the New Testament only appears two times. It appears in 1 Corinthians 11, when Paul is talking about the Lord's Supper, and then it appears in the book of Revelation when John was saying he was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. That's it. Hmm. But church, the translators, have taken this word church, which means a Lord's possession, and put it everywhere that the Greek word ekklesia appears. Ah. Almost everywhere. Not, not everywhere. There's a couple instances where they don't. But everywhere where the word ekklesia appears is now translated church, and that gets us into trouble. Because... Let me back up a second. Making a distinction between ecclesia and church is one of the things that got William William Tyndale killed by the church leaders of his day. Yes, that, he uh, saw. Uh, you, you have a great um, series on the Unsunday Show podcast. Uh, the, the 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 words, the five words, I think it was that got um, yes the head, caused the church to kill William Tyndale. Yeah, right. And his his refusal. To okay, William Tyndale was the first one to translate the New Testament from Greek into English. John Wycliffe had given an English Bible, but he translated it from the Latin. William Tyndale translated it from the Koine Greek, the common Greek, the Greek New Testament into English. And he saw the difference. He saw that the religious system around him, the church, which had hierarchical hierarchical authority, the church which had honorific titles, the church which demanded compliance to certain things that weren't in Scripture, the church that had traditions and rituals that were nowhere in Scripture, that were taking people out of or away from the freedom that they have in Christ to just be free. William Tyndale saw that, and he said, no, in my New Testament, I'm not going to use the word church, because that's not what the word means. The word church simply, or the word ecclesia, means assembly or congregation, and that's what he did in his translation. And the church of his day, the leadership of the church of his day, got so irate and mad at him that they they were going to burn him at the stake. But as William Tyndale was talking and praying on on while he was tied up there, saying, Lord, open the king of England's eyes, the church leaders got so infuriated at him that they ran up onto the pile before they lit it, and they strangled him. And then they lit him on fire. Hmm. Because we're dealing with a sacred cow here sometimes, it seems to me. When we, we're, we're so used to the system that we're in, we're so used to hearing the word church thrown around. And when we think of church, what do we think of? We think of a, a building down on the corner. We think of a facility, and there's nothing wrong with facilities. you got to meet somewhere. But 
we think of as hierarchical structure. And who's at the center of the hierarchical structure? It's the pastor. You can't get around that. And yet that that whole structure, that whole system of thinking, that whole practice that we have in modern institutional church today is missing in the New Testament. So what what it's, would you um, reckon to be the the actual ecclesia? I mean, uh, if if we were doing things uh, right, and I know there's plenty more to say, but um, the the gather a gathering an assembly. Um, not focused on one person, but you know the body together, um, edifying one another, having fellowship together, building one another up. Uh, without this focus on this really ungodly focus on on one person, uh, what would you think would be different if we would do this? And would we would we be going to? Um, a, a, a structure, a building called a church. Would we have uh, a, like a, a, a youth pastor? Would we have a um, all these, you know, this staff um, that gets things done on a weekly basis? You know, would we have all of this stuff, or or how would, in your mind, would things be different? That I don't know if you've thought. I know you've thought about this before, but what, how you would put that into words? Yeah, I think that. First of all, it would it would look a lot different. I've done it to a certain degree, with varying varying uh, degrees of success, I suppose. <laughs> but basically, when the assembly comes together, wherever we meet, I'm not you know saying it has to be in a house. That's not what I'm saying. Wherever we meet, it's imperative that all of the gifts are functioning because the body can't build itself up in love without spiritual gifts. As opposed to on a Sunday morning, we hear one person's spiritual gifts and one person's opinions about something, and there's no room for conversation. There's no room for for growth. There's no room for other people's opinions about the same verse or the same topic. We don't have that. We don't get that. A lot of people will say, "Well, that's what our midweeks for." So they're that's great. Then what do you? Why are you meeting on Sundays? <laughs> you know. Uh, if 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 you're doing if the body of Christ is is working in a midweek setting somewhere somehow it doesn't matter where if it's functioning if it's healthy there then why are we taking this time to focus on one person and to be pastor centric on this other day yeah I'll, and I'll, it, I'll tell you what that was one of my big frustrations with the whole thing um was that because I I I'm I do think about a lot of things. I do have a lot of opinions. I have a lot of questions and a lot of thoughts about scriptures and about things. And so it, this was uh, something that unfortunately got unloaded onto my wife every time we would go to church and then come home. On the way home, that's all she got from me was <laughs> was my thoughts about what had been said there because I wasn't able to express them at the time. I was one of several hundred other people. I guess at that time the church was over a thousand, and there was just no way for me to express what I was thinking with the pastor um, or with anybody else because we are all faced toward the pastor. We can't talk amongst ourselves. Maybe afterward right. we can a little bit, but it's all about what he says and um, 
and and he's the one that's got the the word from God. He's the one that knows all all the truth, and we're the ones we're just sheep taking it in. We're the ones that just take. And so that was one of my biggest frustrations. Even even if I agreed with things, I didn't even get a chance to express agreement with things. And so that's just a side note from what you were talking about there. Yeah, that's a good point. You know, that's that's the way it is. You you get one person's opinion, which may be wrong. Mm-hmm. You know, they may not be taking context into consideration or whatever when they're talking about a particular verse, but you can't say anything about it. And if you wait till the midweek where you're going to analyze the pastor's sermon, you can't say anything about it there either. You know, you can, but you're going to get marked. Let me just put it that way. Right. But what but what we've done again is we've We've so elevated this idea of pastor. You know, the, the, the whole thing about the pastor being the person in the church really came about after the death of the last apostle, John. After the death of John, Ignatius of Antioch was one of the church leaders in that early church. And there was a lot of division in the church at the time, and so he was trying to get a handle on it and kind of reel that in. So he decided... Well, in order to squelch all this church division that's going on here within the assembly, we need to have somebody in charge, somebody large and in charge. And so he decided that the pastor needs to be the person in charge. And this is all over my 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 blogs and my uh, on Sunday show. This you know I allude to this all the time. There is that Ignatius of Antioch said something like this. He said. Don't let anything be done in the assembly without the bishop present. Hmm. Now, in the New, in the New Testament, bishop, elder, overseer, and pastor all refer to the same person. We could talk about that in a minute if you want to. But he said, let nothing be done without the bishop present or the pastor present. And if the pastor is not present, the church shouldn't do anything. He's the one who said the pastor has to administer this is where the lord's supper moved from a a love feast from a meal into a sacrament the bishop had to be there in order to do the lord's supper he was the only one authorized he was the only one authorized to baptize people he was the only one authorized to speak and he was in charge now he might have other pastors under him and at the time it was just a him he might have a other pastors under him, but he's the one in charge. And so that began this hierarchy of top-down authority within the body of Christ, and so, within and so the assembly. Which, which New Testament uh, scripture is that all this found in? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. It was, it was Ignatian's attempt to kind of get his hands around church problems that were happening, problems within the body of Christ, divisions, and the way that he did it is he lowered the boom with more rules, with mm-hmm. rules outside of the New Testament. And by 250 AD, this was in place. This was per- virtually everywhere in every local assembly. Wow. People couldn't do anything without the bishop. Now, the bishop or the pastor began to get trained. They would, they would not be illiterate, but most of the people in the assembly would be illiterate, or at least a large, large amount of them. So they couldn't read scripture for themselves. They didn't have scripture. Nobody had scripture. But the the pastors or the bishops would tell the people what the scriptures say, and the people had no recourse but to believe it, Hmm. because they couldn't read it for themselves. 
And so there was kind of a dumbing down there, if you will, if I can use that term, of, you know, the common folk within the assembly. And we began to see a division within the body of Christ of professional Christian who's overseeing everything and the non-professional Christian who later became known as the laity. You know, so the unbiblical uh, terms of clergy and laity were introduced. Yeah, big division there that's not really non-existent. Right. It doesn't exist at all. In fact, in the pages of Scripture, the word clergy, kleros, is used in reference to the entire body of Christ Hmm. as Christ's inheritance. That's the word. And the word laity isn't in the New Testament. So, you know, we've got this false division between clergy and laity between the trained professional and the untrained professional or the trained professional is telling the untrained professional what they need to be doing and there's there's a complete disregard for the new covenant gospel in those early years it just it seemed to just not be there it was weird so you got guys like cyprian of uh, carthage i think is who introduced the idea of sanctuaries He took an old covenant concept of sanctuary and brought it back into the new covenant body of Christ and said, that's the sanctuary. That's the holy place over there. That's where we meet. And it's holy. He did the same thing with altars. Altars have nothing to do with the new covenant body of Christ other than the fact that, you know, Christ himself is our altar. (laughs) (laughs) Right. You know, there are no altars. Well, Cyprian of Carthage brought them back in. He brought them over from the old covenant and said, here's a tradition we need to reinstitute. And we need to solidify this. And that's when the whole clergy laity thing started to happen and this hierarchy that was set in place with Ignatius of Antioch shortly after the death of, of, uh, of the Apostle John really took off. And then, of course, mid-third century with um, <sighs> with the edict that, you know, church, the Roman edict that church or that being a Christian now is legal and really to not be a Christian is illegal. <laughs> you know, that it really took off because now all of a sudden, you know, we've got the the church and the state wed together. We've got government and the ecclesia wed together and we've got these religious leaders deciding what needs to be done. And, and it just got so ugly. I mean, there's so much you could say there, but this is where this stuff started. This is the seeds of what we see today, and it's still with us today. You know, the idea of, of some person in charge, of, of you know, a, a staff in charge, or of a pastor in charge, and, you know, he or she's, you know, got the word of God, and they know what's happening, and, man, it just gets so messed up, and it got so messed up so fast. Yeah. But when, I, we, when we, yeah, when we look in the New Testament, that isn't what we see. Right, and, and that's the thing. I'm really glad that, somebody's talking about this. You know, you're spending a lot of time talking about this because it has messed up a lot of people and that there there are so many people who think that this is it's their it's their it's their weekly life. I mean, Sunday morning, uh they go to church and they they don't think anything of it. They don't think they just think this is the way it is. This is just yeah, I'm a Christian. I go, I go to church every week. I listen to the pastor, the sermon uh, we do some praise and worship or sing some hymns or, or do whatever, and nobody thinks anything of it. Um, and yet it's not at all 
what is um, in the scriptures regarding uh, the assembling together of believers. And, and it's messed up a lot of people. And so I think that when we have somebody like you who's talking about all of this stuff, and again, in such a um, plain way, in such a way that's very easy to understand, and not, not talking over people, not talking like above people, I think you present the, your thoughts very clearly and, and in such a full a great a, a way that's so full of grace. I really hope that many more people come to understand all of this because and one of the things that I have focused on, I've I've told um, people that if uh, if my life the way that I like to minister the way that I like to share uh, my thoughts with people is I. If I would compare it to a, a college major, I would major in grace and the new covenant, you know, talking about that. And one of the minors, it's not necessarily so minor anymore because I, I like talking about this a lot, but it's the body of Christ and how we are, we are one body um, in Christ, but we're made up of many different parts. A lot of individual parts, just, just like making the way that a human body is made up. There are so many different unique and um, unique parts, a variety of parts, and they all make up the body of Christ. And it's not the, the one person whose gifts we need to focus on, but everybody has uh, their own gifts that they walk in, and the body needs to function with everybody walking in all of their gifts, the way that they're gifted. And a person who doesn't perhaps have the, a gift of, of teaching or preaching might feel inferior to a lot of other people when when the focus on the church is on teaching and preaching and on you know maybe a, a, a musician you know the the praise and worship team uh, those people get the all all the attention all the eyes are on there and so a lot of people feel inferior like well, you know what am i i'm just going here filling a seat listening to some things and then I go about my, my daily life, and the, the gifts that so many people have to offer are neglected, all because of this, um, this focus on, on the few who have these so-called or supposedly bigger gifts, when really they're not. We had a pastor one time years ago, and I really liked this. He, he, just, he would just say, I'm just walking in a gift. That's all I'm doing. I'm I'm no more special than anybody else. I'm no more important than anybody else. I'm just walking in a gift. And he made it clear that you know everybody else they had they had their own gifts to walk in. And I think that's important for uh, for believers to understand, for the body of Christ to understand, because the the body of Christ hurts when it doesn't uh, operate with everybody doing doing their part, and when people's parts are kind of quenched uh, because of this unholy focus on one person it makes a big difference in the body wouldn't you say it sure does it makes all the difference i really appreciate those what you said there that's huge you know because and again i'm not anti-pastor right at all not even close i feel like i'm on a rescue mission for pastors <laughs> <laughs> at least at least at least the ones that, that will uh, dialogue with me because you know i was there you talk about a worship team. I was there too, in a mega church. I was on the worship team, and you know, there's things that go on behind the scenes that you don't see as well, which I don't really want to get into, other than just say that they're there. Mm -hmm. But 
what's presented publicly isn't always a reflection of what's going on behind closed doors. Right. Let me just say that. Mm-hmm. And in an institutional setting with top-down authority, institutional religion, institutional Christianity, institutional church, the the perpetuation of the institution is the most important thing. The institution has to perpetuate itself. It doesn't matter who the pastor is. If the pastor leaves, we're going to go get somebody else. But we're going to get somebody who's going to draw people in because we have to perpetuate the system. The system wants to perpetuate itself, and that's what it does. So, that's so are you what saying, I've seen. Are, are you saying it's more so that they're, they're more focused on keeping the system running than they are on the people? Yes, and in order to keep the system running, you have to keep people feeling guilty. Right. Because, because you have to tell them they're not giving enough. You have to tell them, you know, they're not tithing. I don't want to open that can of worms because <laughs> you and I are both on the same page with that. But you're not doing enough. You're not giving enough. You're not here enough. You need to be, you need to do more and more and more. You know, right after we, just before we left institutional church altogether, we had, we were visiting this one church, which, you know, was, was pretty good. And I was in a conversation with the pastor about coming on staff as one of the pastors. And I thought, you know, something I thought I would never do again, but I was thinking about it. This was a long time ago. This was 2010, probably somewhere in there. And, you know, we were dialoguing about it back and forth. And then one day he comes up to me and he says, you know, if you commit to this, you need to be here every time the doors are open. (laughs) You need to be here early on Sunday. You need to be here all day on Sunday. You need to be here Sunday night. You need to be here at every mid midweek thing. Every time the doors are open, you need to be here. And I thought, you know, I'm not going to go back into that. That's that's exhausting. It, it's pointless. And, and how many people would receive that offer or, or or get that offer and think, yeah, yeah, this is what it's about. Yeah, I'm gonna. And then eventually, you know, they do that, and then they they burn out, and they they I can't do this, and they this is just too much. This is a burden. It's see it it sounds right I think to so many people maybe because it's been perpetuated all these years maybe because it's been done like the, you know the same way for so many years maybe people it just sounds right yeah this is how it's supposed to be done but when people like like you and your wife and and other people that I know have this has happened to they have that crash and burn they have that it's just we just can't do this anymore it's just this can't be done this way but it takes so much time for a person to learn that when it would just be so nice if people would understand that it's not that's not what it's meant to be in the first place and i think that's you you are i like what you said you're on a rescue mission for pastors because i think you're helping people to understand that it doesn't have to be that way it's not meant to be that way and i don't know if if all pastors realize the influence they have on people you know a lot of people just you know if the pastor that said to me, you need to be here when the doors are open, had said that to someone else, they might have thought, okay, the pastor said this, and so it's true. Mm-hmm. So just because he said it, I need to do it. Because he's the man or she's the woman. you know, And, and they're in the know. They know all of this stuff. I did some podcast episodes recently um, where I alluded to some quotes 
from an individual about pastors, and one of them called the pastor the company commander. So he was making oh. a, like a military wow. analogy. The company commander, the pastor is the company commander who gets his orders from the commander-in-chief, who is Jesus. And then the the pastor, the company commander, communicates the orders from the commander-in-chief to the church. And then the church responds. And when the church has a need, an individual in the church has a need, or the church as a whole has a need, they're supposed to bring the need to the company commander, to the pastor. And then the pastor tells it to the commander-in-chief, who is Jesus. I mean, <laughs> saying this thing, I'm kind of laughing, but it was true. And this <laughs> is what this guy said. And it was in a book. And, uh, you know, so there's this hierarchy where he even makes the statement that the company commander, the pastor, knows the needs of the body better than the body does. Hmm. And so he's communicating to God. And so what we have is a, is a second mediator because right. Jesus isn't enough. That's what came to my mind, too, is that there's one mediator between God and man, and it's the pastor. Yeah. <laughs> right? <laughs> Thankfully, it's not. But yeah, yeah, that's exactly what he's saying, you know. And, and you know, this whole, this whole analogy is it's, it's, it's symptomatic. It's describing a symptom of something bigger. And the something, that's, something bigger is that we don't understand what the body of Christ is. The body of Christ would be perfectly fine without church overlaid on it. Mm. Mm -hmm. Church is like, okay, so there was this television series a few years ago called Under the Dome. It was based on a Stephen King novel, I think, Under the Dome. And it's about this small town that has this transparent dome suddenly descends over the entire town and nobody can get in or out but they can't see the dome because it's transparent. So there's planes crashing into it. There's cars wrecking into it. You know, it's kind of a fun little television series. But anyway, I thought about that and I thought that's like the body of Christ with the church. Mm. Those are two different things. The body of Christ is the body of Christ. The, the church is like the dome that has been lowered over the body of Christ in order to keep it contained in order to control it, in order to demand that it conform to religious rules and religious traditions. And people can't see it because it's transparent. Right. And so we think that church and the body of Christ are the same thing. I don't think they are. I think church is a religious system that's been imposed on the body of Christ, and I think the body of Christ does just fine without it. In fact, when we left the institutional church setting, life got so much better. Yeah. <laughs> because we didn't have to conform to these needless rules, to these to these religious rules that would change on a whim depending on you know what the pastor or the staff thought should happen. Right. All of a sudden we were free from that. Sunday became another day off. Right. You know, and um you know that's that's why I think that some of the stuff that we talk about is symptomatic of a bigger problem, that we just don't understand what the body of Christ is completely. Yeah. And, and I, then you, you, you ignore, like you and I talked about at the beginning, you know, you ignore Old Covenant, New Covenant context in the Bible, and things really get ugly. Go ahead. Oh, yeah. And, and we can definitely talk about that. And I, I just, kind of what you were talking about just reminded me of, of another situation in the, the one church that I was a part of that um, I ended up just having to break away from. 
And it struck me one time, my wife and I were part of a small group. And so that was, I think, Wednesday nights, uh, whatever night it was. But so we were meeting together and what the church as was doing was they, they had created these videos. I think it was a series of eight videos. And so for eight weeks, we were to watch these videos. It was basically the pastor's vision for the church. And I made the comment. You know, so it was like, this is what this is what the pastor sees for, for this church. And I thought, what if we, as, as a group here, we know each other, we can talk with each other. What if we talked about our needs, about our issues, about the things that are going on with us, and we bring that to the church as a whole? And mm. the collective gasp, I mean, it was like, Nobody understood that concept that, you know, it was, all, no, it's because it's about what the pastor says. I mean, it was just, I thought at least one person would get me, you know, but nobody, it was, it was the, the looks on people's faces were just, it was so strange that, you know, you know, we're watching these videos for eight weeks. This is what, this is what church is about. This is, you know, we're going to see what the pastor's vision is for this church. And we're going to follow it. And that's totally the opposite. I mean, that's that that hierarchy thing where instead of people meeting, you know, the body of Christ just meeting together and working through things together, it's, no, no, we got to see what the pastor says, and that's what we're going to focus on. That's what we're going to do. And that was just so sad to me. It is sad. Had a similar experience, Joel, if I can tell this quick story. A few years ago, this is just pre-COVID, we were invited to this gathering at a local church here that uh, these people who had come out of a certain religious cult where they had a support group, and they were going to be talking, and so we got invited to this. So we went, and uh, it it was being put on by some organization outside of the church, but the church had let them use a room here for this thing. And we get there and it doesn't start and it doesn't start and it doesn't start. And it's about 20 minutes after the start time. And I finally just leaned over and asked somebody, why aren't we starting? And she goes, the pastor's not here yet. (laughs) And I thought it's Ignatius. That's honestly Mm -hmm. what I thought, Joel. Mm -hmm. I thought about Ignatius. Don't let anything be done without the pastor present. The pastor is the pastor's not here, so the pastor finally came in, and the the room kind of breathed this you know a collective sigh of relief, and all he did was pray, and he left again. He wasn't even a part of what was going on. Wow! But that gave <laughs> that gave them permission to start. Hmm. Just his presence, you know. Uh. Yeah, yeah. Just come in Couldn't and do you know, without him. patristic blessing on the thing, and you know, if I may just say this as a former pastor. Pastors don't have any special foo-foo dust on them that nobody else has. <laughs> right. <laughs> they, they don't. We're human just like everybody else. We have struggles just like everybody else. We sin just like everybody else. We need grace just like everybody else. No different. Your pastor doesn't have more insight into your life than you do. You're the one in your life that has the insight. And, and yet we put so much 
pressure. And so we put all of our eggs in one basket with the pastor. And we think that the pastor knows everything because the pastor, we've been either told directly or indirectly, has some kind of a hotline to God that the rest of us don't have. Right. And that's that's not true. The body of Christ is a body of equals. It's not hierarchy. It's a body of equals. Sure, we have different spiritual gifts. Thank God for that. But we're a body of equals. And no one is above another. Right. In a perfect world. And we need each each member of the body to to in order for the body to to work right. It's I like how Paul in in Romans 12 and 1 Corinthians 12 just compares it to a human body because every part needs each other in order for the body to function and there's no part that's more important than the other. If if the uh, you know the, you think about the pinky toe um, how that's used for balance, you know people take it for granted, but um, it's used for balance. Um, you think about the I, I don't think about my kidneys throughout the day, but if I didn't have my kidneys, um, I would not function, you know, and it's things like this that, that we take for granted. Uh, when, when the focus is on one thing, one person, we take for granted the rest of the parts that are really making this thing work. <laughs> and Jesus is the head of the body, and we are a body of equals, like you say. Different functions, but no, no one is more important uh, than the other ones. Hey, have you got some more time to spend on some of this stuff or you got to get sure. running. I'm, I'm thinking maybe we'll uh, wrap this up and maybe start another one. Um, and then the next one may be shorter, maybe to be just as long, depending on what we decide to talk about, but maybe we'll just make this into a, a two-parter. And sure, I'd love um, that. so as we wrap this one up, then just, you want to run by your uh, website again and uh, how people can um, find out more about you. Yes, my website is unsunday.com, unsunday.com, and the links are there to everything that I do, and uh, that's the best way to find me and to stay in touch with me, is by going to unsunday.com. And Joel, by the way, I just gave the Unsunday uh, website a facelift. You got to go check it out. Oh, yes, we'll do that. People people can now leave me voicemails on the website. Wow. Wow, that's cool. So, yeah. I'll have to find out more about that from you. Yeah, you have to go check that out. Yes, okay, so this is Growing in Grace Together. I'm Joel Brzezicki, again with Mike Adams from the Unsunday Show podcast with me, and we will have another part of this uh, conversation coming up, so stick around.